What if you struck up a conversation in a coffee shop and the topic got to spiritual things? As a follower of Christ, you begin to share your faith with your newfound friend who happens to be a Buddhist. What do you know about Buddhism? And how would you compare Christ with the Buddha? I grew up going to the Buddhist temple and uh, went to the temple every Sunday and got to grow up in Buddhism. This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. As you heard, Pat was raised in a Buddhist culture and has tremendous insight on sharing the claims of Christ with our Buddhist friends. Dr. Zucharin speaks all over the world on a variety of cultural and spiritual topics as he presents and defends the Christian worldview. And as you listen today, stop by our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and click through resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, Pat's books and articles, interviews with leading experts, past radio shows, and more. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We think you'll enjoy the fascinating topics. And now let's go to Pat Zucharin speaking at a recent conference with part one of Sharing Christ with Buddhists. So we're talking tonight on how to reach Buddhists for Christ. And um, in fact, a lot of my family members are still part of the Buddhist church. My uncle is a leader in the Buddhist, the big Buddhist church. And my family just celebrates not the word. I uh, had a wake for the 30th uh, what anniversary of the death of my grandfather and, and uncle and, and other family members there at the Buddhist temple uh, in Kalihi. So this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So as we begin, let's uh, open in prayer together. Father, teach us how to reach our friends and family members in Buddhism with your word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a lot we're going to cover tonight, so here's two great websites that are going to help you out, probe.org and evidenceandanswers.org. Probe is the ministry that I work for, over a thousand articles on that website, numerous Uh, PowerPoints that you can download and view and also use as you are teaching. Evidence and Answers is the radio show that I host. It's on Saturday nights here at K-Lite, and it's uh, a syndicated national show throughout the West Coast and Asia. And there's some interviews there that uh, be very interesting for you to listen to. I interview some of the top Buddhist scholars here in the United States. And also, Uh, For next week, I interview some of the top Muslim scholars uh, as well. Uh, Last week, I was interviewing uh, Dr. Robert Spencer, maybe the top Islamic expert in our country today. So those are some great resources for you for the things that we're covering tonight. Now, some facts on Buddhism. There are about 300 million Buddhists in the world today. And according to the 2008 Pew Forum's U.S. Religious Landscape Survey, it showed that Buddhism is now the third most practiced religion in the United States. It is the dominant religion in China, Japan, and Southeast Asia, and it's quickly growing here in the United States. Now, this indicates that there are about 2 million Buddhists here in the United States. Demographically, it was found that the majority of Buddhists were Gen Xers, people between the age of 30 and 50 years old. Also, here's another interesting thing. American Buddhism's growth is predominantly based on conversion of native-born Americans. Asians numbered only 30% of this population. In other words, the vast majority of those converting to Buddhism here in the United States and the West are not Asian. And I remember for my doctoral program, 
I had to research a particular religious movement and develop an apologetic method in which to share Christ to this particular religious group. I picked Buddhists. Uh, so I went down to the Sokagakai Temple there of Dallas to do some research and talk with some of their people there. And they all knew that a Christian was coming to the temple, and he'd be with them in their worship and all this and asking a bunch of questions. So they're on the lookout to see where the Christian guy was. When I got there, I was the only Asian there. Everybody else was Caucasian. And so I was sitting down at a table uh, with all these Caucasians, and they were sharing with me Buddhism. And so when people walked in, they were thinking, oh, that Asian guy must be the Buddhist. And everybody else is the Christian, you know, but it was actually the other way around. The biggest growth is coming from the non-Asian population. And geographically, the western United States has more Buddhists than the East Coast. And it's become very popular here among celebrities here in the United States. I'm sure you recognize some of these guys. In the middle there, of course, is Tiger Woods. To the right there, who's that? Richard Gere, movie star. Who's that? I don't know. Steven Seagal, another movie star. Who's this? Tina Turner, singer there. And who is that guy right there? Phil Jackson, the coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. So Pastor Darrell here is going to have to find a new team to cheer for. <laughs> That's all right. Can't, can't cheer for the Lakers anymore. Guess he'll have to cheer for the Clippers. <laughs> not much to cheer about there. No, actually, they're not bad this year. But I uh, have to find another team to cheer for. May I suggest the Dallas Mavericks? Uh, not, not much of a response there. Not too many Dallas fans here, huh? All right. Also, many uh, Eastern practices coming here to the United States, the martial arts, yoga, alternative medicine. Uh, people are exposed to much of the Eastern ideas, especially Buddhism. Now, what are the teachings of Buddhism, and how can we effectively share Christ to our friends and family members in Buddhism? Well, let me give you a brief history of Buddhism here. Buddhism begins with its founder named Siddhartha Gautama. Historians have difficulty determining the historical accounts of his life because the first biography of him is written hundreds of years after his life. In fact, the Buddhist scriptures are written nearly three to four centuries after his death. So unlike the Gospels, which are written by first-generation eyewitnesses, the Buddhist scriptures are written centuries after the life of Buddha. So it's difficult to determine the true facts of his life. Now, many believe that Buddha was born in about the 6th century B.C. here in Lumbini, Nepal. Nepal is a country north of India, south of China. It's in between India and China. It's where the Himalayas are, the largest, uh, tallest mountain range, and where Mount Everest is. And I was able to go here to Lumbini, the birthplace of Gautama. The birthplace of Buddhism is in Nepal. Nepal is quite a fascinating, fascinating country, and I got to go and see his birthplace. Now, there, uh, the National Geographic Society has determined this is indeed the birthplace of the Buddha, and that's a shrine there that's built. 
on the site where it is believed that he was born. And you can go there, and there are Buddhist temples surrounding it from all over the world. Every country has a Buddhist temple uh, somewhere on that vast, vast grounds there. But that's the shrine where Buddha was born. Now, this is the sacred tree, which they believe is about 2,500 years old. So it was around during the time in which Buddha lived. Now, when you go in there, you walk in, and uh, it's an ancient uh, house there. And there, right over there, is the birthplace of Buddha. Legend has it that as soon as he was born, he got up and he walked. And there's a guy over there seeking enlightenment, looks like. Now, there is the footprint of Buddha, right there, if you can see it. So legend has it that as soon as he was born, he got up and he walked and he left his footprint right there in Lumbini. So he must have been a pretty big baby. That's a pretty big footprint, about a size 10 or 11 over there. And that's the story. Uh, That's the legend behind Buddha. Now, his father, Sudhodana, was ruler over Nepal. And he, the legend has it is this. A Hindu holy man came up and saw the baby and said, this baby will become a, a holy man who will change the world or he will become a powerful king. Well, of course, the father wanted him to become a king. And so he sheltered Gautama in the palace, giving, thing, giving him all the luxuries that he could give and kept him in the palace, sheltered from the outside world. Well, of course, as a young man, he married, and he wanted to see beyond the palace walls. And so the story has it that on his famous chariot ride, before he went out, his father had the streets cleared of any sick people, of anything uh, that looked like it was dying or decaying. He had it all removed as his son rode his chariot through the village. However, as his son rode through the village, and there's various accounts of how he did this, but as he rode his chariot through the village, he saw four things that disturbed him and changed his life forever. He saw an old man suffering. He saw a sick man also who was suffering. Then he saw a dead corpse. And then he saw an ascetic, a Hindu holy man meditating. And deeply distressed over the pain and suffering that he saw, it bothered him day and night. Finally, one night, he kissed his wife and his son goodbye, and he left the palace forever in search of the answer to pain and suffering. He studied with the Hindu holy men and the Hindu scriptures, but soon he became discouraged and disillusioned with the teachings of Hinduism. He then devoted his life to asceticism, to fasting and and meditation in the jungle. Legend has it that he learned how to survive on just one grain of rice a day. In fact, legend has it if you poked him in the stomach, your finger would be protruding out of his back. But he concluded that 
Severe fasting and asceticism did not lead to enlightenment. It just weakened the body. So he eventually turned to a life of meditation. And the story has it that one day, while he was meditating under the Bodhi tree, the tree of enlightenment, he became enlightened and discovered the answer to pain and suffering. And from then on, he became known as the Buddha, the enlightened one. And he preached his message throughout his particular area. His teaching gained a very quick audience as many were discouraged and disillusioned with the teachings of Hinduism. He died at 80 of food poisoning, but by that time already, Buddhism had become a major force in India, and 300 years later, began to spread throughout all of Asia. Now, Buddha never claimed to be divine. He simply claimed to be a man who knew the way. However, about 500 years later, his disciples deified him and began to worship him as a divine being, the incarnation of the Buddha who had come to the earth. Now, that's a brief history of Buddhism. Buddhism spread to the north and then to the south. And by Buddha's death, two very distinct schools were already developing, and they looked very, very different from one another. Buddhism that went south into Southeast Asia is called Southern Buddhism. Buddhism that went north into China, Japan, Korea, Tibet. It's called Northern Buddhism, and the two are quite different. Southern Buddhism, one of the big differences is that it's the religion of priests. If you are going to make the commitment to Buddhism, you've got to renounce all, forsake all, take the vow of poverty, leave all your worldly possessions and family behind, and live as a monk at the temple. Um, fully dedicated to following the way of Buddhism. Okay, so the lay people, their job is to simply support the temple and the priests. But it is the priests who will actually attain enlightenment to nirvana. Northern Buddhism, as it went up, began to absorb the religions in the particular area. So when you see Buddhism in China, Japan, Korea, it looks very different from Southern Buddhism as it began to absorb the religions of the particular area. So Japanese Buddhism is a mix of Shinto and Buddhism. Chinese Buddhism is a mix of the Chinese folk religion and Buddhism. Same thing in Korea and Tibet. It just began to mix and blend in. Northern Buddhism said there are many Buddhas who have come and many of the gods of those particular countries were absorbed into Buddhism as another manifestation of the Buddha. So the two look quite different. Now, what are the basic beliefs of Buddhism? There are hundreds of schools of Buddhism, hundreds of schools, many of them claiming to be the true form of Buddhism. So what I'm going to give you tonight is just the basics of classical Buddhism here. Here are some of the basic beliefs. First, and this is key to understanding Buddhism, what is the understanding of the world or, or the universe or what is true reality? According to Buddhism, it's the law of impermanence. This world, this physical world, is an illusion. It's impermanent. It is an illusion. Okay? It's like a mirage. You need to understand that. 
And behind this physical world is nothing, is the void. And this world is simply an illusion. God in Buddhism, many of you may be surprised, but really there is no God in Buddhism. In classical Buddhism, it's an atheistic system. It does not believe in a personal creator. And a divine being really has no relevance in classical Buddhism. The Dalai Lama states this, The entire Buddhist worldview is based on a philosophical standpoint in which the central thought is the principle of interdependence, how all things and events come into being purely as a result of interactions between causes and conditions. Within that philosophical worldview, it is almost impossible to have any room for an atemporal, eternal, absolute truth. Nor is it possible to accommodate the concept of a divine creation. One of the best Buddhist sites out there is called Buddha.net. You want a lot of good information on Buddhism, this is a great website to go to. I'm there all the time. And in the Q&A section, it asks, Do Buddhists believe in God? And the answer is no, we do not. There are several reasons for this. The Buddha, like modern sociologists and psychologists, believe that religious ideas, and especially the God idea, have their origin in fear. In Buddhism, the primary focus is the individual attaining enlightenment. And any speculations of a divine being or such really hinders the process. The Buddhists would state that the teachings of Buddha, the teachings of the Dharma, make God unnecessary. Second, we have the law of karma, or the law of cause and effect, which simply is this. You are what you are now as the result of what you did in previous incarnations. Throughout your lifetime, you accumulate good karma or bad karma. And depending on how much bad karma you attain in your next rebirth, you may return in a lower form, maybe as a slave or uh, a peasant or a sick person or even an animal. But if you attain a lot of good karma, then in your next rebirth, perhaps you'll come back in a higher form, maybe in a more powerful social position or a higher kind of being. That's the law of karma. Then we have the law of samsara, or this is the rebirth cycle. Everything is in a rebirth cycle. The new individual will be different, uh, but with some similarities from the previous, but how much is not defined. And it depends on the amount of good and bad karma you accumulate in your previous life. And finally, nirvana. Nirvana means the blowing out of existence. It's not a place or a state of being like we understand heaven. It is a place where all being, all thought, everything comes to an end as you escape the cycle of rebirth. In the sacred book of the Buddhists, volume 2, it writes this, There is, disciples, a condition where there is neither earth nor water, neither air nor light, neither limitless space nor limitless time, neither any kind of being, neither ideation or non-ideation, neither this world nor that world. There is neither arising or, nor passing away, nor dying, neither cause nor effect, neither change, no standstill. 
See, the goal in Buddhism is to escape the cycle of reincarnation and the extinguishing of all personhood and being. That is nirvana. Why? Because to come back into this life means you go through pain and suffering once again. Why do you want to go through that again? So the goal is to escape that rebirth cycle and enter into nirvana, the extinguishing of all. Now, what is mankind's problem in Buddhism? Well, remember, this world is an illusion. It's a mirage. And what happens to man? They think this is the real world. And we get attached to this physical life and to this world, which is impermanent, and it's an illusion. The key to salvation, the key to nirvana, is to let go of all desire and any attachment to this world. That's why in Southern Buddhism, right, the priests do not marry. They do not have families. Why? You want to detach from all things of this world. Okay, if you saw Star Wars, right, the Jedi, right, what do the Jedi do? They don't marry either, right? They detach. If you listen to the dialogue between the Jedi, Master Yoda, and all uh, the Master Jedi, they talk about detaching from everything of this world. Okay? Even to fall in love is not a good thing amongst the Jedi. And that's true in Buddhism. Right? You do not want to attach to anything in this world. That's why true Buddhists in Southern Buddhism are single. They are priests. Okay? They do not marry. They do not own any positions. Uh, they go around each day okay, begging for their sustenance. Salvation. Well, man is in an endless cycle of rebirths. And one breaks the cycle by accepting the Four Noble Truths and following the Eightfold Path. See, <clears throat> if, if I told you, hey, I want you to give me your life savings and I want you to invest okay, <laughs> in a mirage, okay, in a hotel on Lanai that doesn't even exist and won't exist, and I tried to talk you into that, you would say, Pat, you're a fool. That's a stupid investment. And Buddhists are saying, that's what you're doing when you invest your life into things and people of this world. The goal in Buddhism is to detach all attachment from this world, to eliminate all desire. And when we can do that, we escape the cycle of rebirth and enter into nirvana. That's classical Buddhism. I remember in high school, we had a Chinese teacher. Uh, his name was Mr. Zhao. And I remember Mr. Zhao was a Buddhist, and one day he asked us, he said, what is it you want to do with your life? And we looked and said, well, make money. And he said, well, what's going to happen when you make money? And we said, well, make some more. And he said, then what are you going to do? And we said, keep making more. And he said, when are you going to have enough? And we said, well, you never have enough. Just keep working. And he said, and that life is a life of futility and frustration. And you'll never be happy, and you'll never have peace. So we looked at him and said, all right, well, what's your goal in life? And he said, once my kids graduate and go to college, I'm going to go to China. I'm going to sell everything, give everything away, and I'm going to China. 
and I'm going to meditate all day, and my wife is going to cook. And at first thought, I thought, wow, that's, you know, all right, well, whatever, you know, more power to you, you know. But then I came to understand, well, that's, that's Buddhism. Okay? You want to detach from all things of this world. Okay? Uh, eliminate all desire. And when you do, you can break free of that rebirth cycle and enter in to nirvana. You break that cycle by accepting the Four Noble Truths and following the Eightfold Path. What are the Four Noble Truths? Well, number one, there exists pain and suffering in the world. That's universal. To exist means to experience pain and suffering. The root of suffering is desire. Suffering will cease when desires cease. See, mankind craves for things of this world which are impermanent. They're illusions. We must cease all desire for that which is impermanent. The goal in Buddhism is to detach all attachment from this world, to eliminate all desire. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pan Zukarin. We're out of time, but there is so much more Pat has to say, so we'll pick it up there next time with part two of Sharing Christ with Buddhist. And there is so much more on Buddhism and other world religions at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Dr. Zukarin respectfully addresses various belief systems, spirituality, culture, science, and other topics from a Christian standpoint, and gives reasons for faith in Christ. And if you enjoy Evidence and Answers on the radio and see the value of our message, please support us with your tax-deductible gifts. Just click the Donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. It means so much to us to hear from you, so please go right now to evidenceandanswers.org with your support. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers.